We're a church that believes in the everlasting word of God. The Holy Scripture is found in the Old and New Testaments. And so when we come to worship, we come and we share the scriptures and listen as our pastors guide us through the word. Today, Pastor Keith is going to guide us through two passages, one from Luke, words that you'll find very familiar to yourselves, and secondly, a passage that takes that, uh, the next logical step. As Christ comes to reconcile us with God, um, Paul tells us uh, how that is done through him. So here are the words, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, and then 2 Corinthians five sixteen and following. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and on earth, peace on those whom his favor rests. And from 2 Corinthians. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, Be reconciled to God. But God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. These are the words of God to his people today. Will you join your heart with mine? May we pray. Oh God, as we have come forward this morning, we are singing your praise and for that we are grateful. We know that not each one of us has perfect pitch, but we do know, Lord, that when we incline our hearts to yours and when we lift up these words that sing the truth of your gospel, truly you are praised and glorified, not only in this music, but in our hearts and in the world as well. Lord God, as we turn the edge towards Christmas, we understand and are so thrilled at all the excitement in the, in the great gatherings that we get to be a part of. And some of us get to be with family. Others of us get to be at exuberant meals with friends and all kinds of different occasions. And Lord, we just give you glory for that. Sometimes we worry about if all the china is clean or if the groceries are bought. But most of all, Lord, allow us to give thanks and praise you for that. And we also know, Lord, as we gather on any Sunday morning... That never is there a time when someone among us is not blue. Right here in this room, Lord, we know that there are some that will be having a blue Christmas. Because they're taking the first turn of the calendar towards Christmas without someone that they love so much. A spouse, a a brother, a sister, a parent. And they know it's hard, Lord. Oh yeah, they'll go through all the steps that are traditional and 
the families and the groups they're in. But it'll be just going through the motions in hopes to praise you, but also because it's their routine to, to, to move forward. And Lord, we ask that you ease the pain of their bereavement, grief. And we ask, Lord, that you put your peace in their hearts. Lord, we know that there are others among us uh, today even that, that come with brokenheartedness because of relationships in their lives that are, that are broken. And we also know, Lord, that there are people that are just poor in spirit as, as you tell us. And so, God, we ask your blessing upon them all. Heal them with the grace that they need. Allow them to, if they can't, purse their lips to sing these songs, to hear them in their heart and, and, and put their hearts and minds into you. And Father God, we do on every Sunday when we gather, pray for those that are wounded among us, particularly remembering uh, those that have been hospitalized, uh, Eileen Downey and Lori Strasberger, Dick Hildebrand and Joni Hil- uh, Witzel that normally attends this service. We pray your healing upon them and we pray your peace upon this world, Lord, because as we hear and know over and over, to the brokenness of the world, you speak one word, Jesus. You have one message, your son. And we know he comes as the Prince of Peace who can transform us all. And it's in his name we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Good morning. Great job, you guys. I know we brag about it all the time, but you guys know Simon writes all those little courses that we do. In between those those uh, hymns, and I'll, I'll give you a sneak pre a sneak peek of what Simon and I had a conversation about. I don't know a few weeks ago. He's probably going to kill me for saying this, but I made a goal for him um, this in the year 2015 that we're actually going to record some of his original music for our church. What do you think about that? Wouldn't that be pretty cool to have some of these songs? <laughs> So it'll be awesome to do that. Are you guys ready for Christmas? How many times have you been asked that question, like in the last few days? Are you ready for Christmas? What does that mean, right? It's one of those things where usually it means, have you bought everything you're supposed to buy, right? Uh, You know, that's what it means. But the truth is, Christmas is one of those things that's going to happen whether you're ready for it or not. As Pastor Mike says, the sled's going downhill, and there's no stopping it. We're headed there, and we're almost through with all the preparations, and, and it's, it's, it's going to be a, an awesome week here at the church when we come together uh, on Christmas Eve to, to worship God as we do and <clears throat> to sing praises. It's just amazing to me how, you know, the passage of time is something that changes, though, as you, as you get older, you know. And for my kids, I was having a conversation with, with them the other day, and they're just like, when's it going to get here? This many days. And they're counting down the moments. And I'm like, it's kind of a blur, you know. And when we, when we realize, though, that for all of us, what Christmas means and what it's about, you know, the things that we should be experiencing in our hearts are, are joy. And I know it's hard for some people uh, because, you know, Christmas might be a rough time depending on what's going on in your life. But what I want to encourage all of us to do is to remember that what makes Christmas special is not your family, okay? Yeah, your family's great, 
and, and you should celebrate your family. What makes Christmas special is not your, your gifts, your presents that you receive or that you give. I mean, that's fun stuff too. But, but what makes Christmas special is something that goes beyond our worldly circumstances and our worldly struggles and our worldly uh, relationships even. Christmas is about Jesus, of course, and the joy that we have as people who understand what he did when he came into this world. And that's what this last hymn in our sermon series, The Carols of Christ, is all about. We're talking today about the, the hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And we're going to be looking at these verses of this hymn and some of the scripture, talking about, about why, no matter what your circumstance in life is, good or bad, Christmas uh, is, is a wonderful thing to celebrate. Hark the Herald Angels Sing uh, is a Christmas carol that first appears in 1739 in a collection of hymns and sacred poems, having written by, does anybody know who wrote it? Methodist people up in here, come on. Charles Wesley, right? For those of you that don't know, Charles Wesley is the brother of John Wesley, who, I don't, I don't like it when people say he founded the Methodist church, okay? He didn't found a, he didn't find, found a church. He started a, a movement of, of of people that gathered together just to go deeper in their faith with God and to, to, to dig deep. He was an Anglican priest. He was in the Anglican church. He, he, he wasn't like, hey, I'm going to go plant a new church and it's going to be the Methodist church. That sort of took a couple hundred years to get all that worked out. But it's through all of, of what God did through the Wesleys that we became a church. But not just us. There are other churches that are associated with the Wesley brothers. But Charles is most famous for all the hymns that he wrote, thousands of them that he, that he wrote. And this one, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, is probably one of his most well-known to the world. But here's what's interesting, uh, fun fact for you about this hymn. That, that uh, tune that we sing it to was not the original tune. That, that Charles uh, put his words to. He asked that the tune to Hark the Herald Angels Sing be slow and solemn. And I don't understand why, but that's what he requested. Uh, not the joyful tune that we have today. And also, he had a little help from his good friend George Whitfield, who, who was also a famous preacher, who changed the opening line of Hark the Herald Angels Sing from this, originally Wesley writes, Hark how the welkin rings, glory to the king of kings. Now, does anybody know what a welkin is? I don't know what a welkin is. Somebody in here probably knows. It's some, probably something English. But this was the original line, and, and Whitfield and a few others kind of messed around with it. And then, and then it wasn't until a hundred years later or so that Felix Mendelssohn uh, wrote a cantata to commemorate the invention called the printing press that Gutenberg created. And it was in this music that, that he, it was adapted by a man named William H. Cummings to fit the lyrics of Hark the Herald Angels Sing that we now know today. Isn't Wikipedia a wonderful thing? <laughs> I mean, you might have thought that I just like knew all that stuff, right, about Hark the Herald Angels Sing. But, you know, I just get up, to be honest with you, I don't know, I just sing it, Right? I just sing it, and I think about what the words mean, and I think about how awesome they are, and I think about what it must be like, what must have happened that was so awesome that would make angels sing, you know? I mean, think about that. There's, a, there's a, a, uh, this text from Pastor Mike uh, that he read this morning from Luke 2 that, that the angels come to, to the shepherds. They say, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. 
Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now thinking about what makes angels sing uh, is a pretty cool thing. There was a preacher um, from about 150 years ago. His name was Charles Spurgeon. He's also English. And he wrote these words about this hymn. This is a quote I wanted to show you about this. He said, And notice how well they, the angels, told the story. And surely you will love them, not with the stammering tongue of one who tells a tale in which he has no interest, nor even with the feigned interest of a man that would move the passions of others when he feels no emotion himself, but with the joy and gladness such as angels can only know. They sang the story out, for they could not stop to tell it in heavenly prose. They sang, glory to God on high and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. I think they sang it with gladness in their eyes, with their hearts burning with love and with breasts as full of joy as if the good news to man had been good news to themselves. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful, all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. What was so powerful about this message that made even the angels sing? Notice Spurgeon says that they sang as though even it were good news to them. And, and I think in some ways it was, but what was this good news that makes angels sing? Well, the angels announced that this good news will bring great joy for all the people. Well, the good news, of course, is the gospel. The gospel, and what the gospel simply is, is this. It is the good news about what God is doing. He is sending the Savior So why is this good news? We need to start there. How is it good news and why is it good news? And the the hymn tells us that it's because God is reconciling the world to himself through Jesus. He's reconciling the world to himself through Jesus. And this passage that Pastor Mike from 2 Corinthians read, it, it speaks about this as Paul is, is, is thinking about this as he's writing this reconciliation. And, and I'll just kind of poke, poke, poke through it here a little bit. But he says this. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And then a little bit lower it says, Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, the gospel is about what, is, what God is doing to bridge the gap between humanity and God. Now this presumes that there is a gap between humanity and God. And if you don't acknowledge that, if you don't understand that, then this carol really makes no sense. 
And of course, the scriptures that come from it make no sense either. See, why do we need to be reconciled to God if indeed we aren't separated? Do you understand that? Do you own the fact that in our natural selves, our sin has us separated from God? Now, many people understand this. Many people across the world get that there's a separation between God. And that's why religion has always been such a popular thing among all cultures in the world. Now, let's talk about religion for a second. Religion means to relink. <clears throat> Railing Gary is the, is, the, is the original world. And it means to relink with God. And if you study human history, if you study cultures, you'll notice that Across the world, for as long as there have been human beings, there has been this innate understanding that there is a God, a creator, and that human beings are separated from this God. So religion is humanity's attempt to relink with this God through rituals and sacrifice and, and, and other religious duties. And that's what religion has been all about. You know, some people would, would, would argue, well, God is just a figment of humanity's imagination. But what's interesting is to note that this isn't something that a particular culture or a small number of cultures who, who, who you know, were bound by superstition or something created. This has been universal there has never been a culture that has ever existed of human beings that hasn't had some form of religious longing in their hearts. And, and of course, theologians look to that and say, well, that is, is, is a great clue to the existence of God. Because the book of Romans tells us that God has made himself known to all of creation just by creating us. So that it's plain to all human creatures that there is a God because otherwise, how else would we be here? And written into our hearts is this desire to relink with a holy God. And that's what religion has been about for thousands and thousands of years. And it's all across the world and always has been. Where would that desire come from if not from a creator. Secular humanistic science has no real way to answer that question. Is it a product of evolution? Well, it, it, it doesn't seem to be. What purpose does it serve? <clears throat> Therefore, we look at that and we see human beings understand this globally. But let me ask you a question. Do you understand it personally? Do you feel that? <clears throat> Have you felt in your life this need to be linked with God, to be reunited with God. I hope that you have. I hope that you have. But here's the truth. The truth is this. God is holy, and in him there is no darkness at all. And the Bible tells us that we human beings are not holy, that in us there is sin. The Bible tells us that there's no one who's righteous, not even one. Yet all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's expectations. So because of that, there has been this gap in relationship for thousands of years. For thousands of years. The Bible says that we cannot save ourselves. 
without an external move on God's part, we are doomed. And that's why the gospel is such great news. Because there's a way back. And the way back is not found through human efforts or human understanding or human striving because we in and of ourselves have already proven that it doesn't work. The way back is found in God's move toward us, which is the gospel. That way is Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, some people hear that and go, that sounds great. Other people hear that and says, well, that's incredibly arrogant and exclusive. That, that Jesus is the way back. What if I want the way back to be something else? And, and some people are tremendously offended at the idea that Christianity makes this claim that Jesus is the way. And as a matter of fact, it says that Jesus is the only way. The book of Acts tells us that there's no name under heaven by which men are saved but through Jesus. He is the Savior. Now, does that sound exclusive to you? You see, it's time to rejoice That there is a way not to complain that there is only one. Now, C.S. Lewis and and, and later phrased through through a man named Tim Keller have talked about this exclusivity of the gospel. And the first thing that we point out is this, that Christianity is not alone in its exclusive claim on the truth. Okay, every religious system that you look into makes truth claims that are exclusive. That's why they're truth claims. Because truth by nature is is exclusive. It's not a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of preference. It's a matter of what's actually true. And that's what religious things, religious systems and claims, that's what they exist to tell us. So here's, here's what we learn is that in some ways this comes across as exclusive because the exclusive truth about the way back to God is that it's found in Jesus. But here's where the exclusive truth becomes inclusive. It's exclusive that it's found through Jesus, but it's inclusive in that this way is for all nations. It's for all people. It's for the world, not just a select group, not just those that belong to this nationality or this heritage, not just for those who have special intellectual understanding, not just for those who have special material resources, but God's gospel, his way, his exclusive way is all-inclusive. And it includes everyone. That's the good news. Now that's a big deal. That's why all nations rejoice. That's why the angels say good news for all mankind. Not just good news for the Israelites who thought that the Messiah was coming just for their benefit. You see, Jesus wants to relink all of us to him. That's why Paul writes, be reconciled. He's writing to people who aren't Jewish as well as people who are and saying, this is the ministry that God has given us. Be reconciled. Be reconciled. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. See, verse 2 speaks about the nature of Christ. He is eternal, everlasting in Lord. He's not simply a man with good ideas. 
He's not simply a, a great philosopher. He is God wrapped in flesh. He is our God with us. We've been singing this all December, all Advent, about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, how our God became a person and dwelt with us. This has been the theme of all these carols, and it is why we rejoice. God did not just declare what human beings should do. He became a human being. See, again, this is what... what separates Christianity from other, other ideas and other religions is that this, it's not just about what Jesus came to say. It's not just about his moral ideas. Do you want to know the truth? Jesus' moral ideas were not that revolutionary when he gave them. You can read all sorts of, of ancient texts that talk about morality and talk about, about uh, how we should treat each other. And what Jesus said is is, is not too far off of all of those. That's not why Christianity is revolutionary. <clears throat> and it's important that we understand that. Because if we think that Christianity, that the gospel is just a bunch of good advice or just a bunch of good moral ideas, then it's easy to lump that in with everything else. And then it becomes even easier to think that we don't need Jesus. Because we've already got this morality thing figured out, right? I'm a good person, people say. I don't need to go to church. I don't need religion. I don't need Jesus. I'm, I'm a nice person already. As if the church exists to turn us into a bunch of nice people. You all are wonderful, nice people. Do you know that? You are. Just look around. There are nice people in here, right? So why are you here, right? If you, if you, I have neighbors in my neighborhood that are nice. They don't go to church. You don't need church to make you nice. That's not the idea. We don't, we don't come to, the, to faith to, to learn how to be, you know, a good person. You don't need faith to be a good person, according to the world's definition. But you need Jesus because without him, you're unreconciled to God. God isn't just looking for good people. He's looking to be reconciled. And that's what makes Christianity unique, and that's why this is good news, is because Jesus wasn't just about these, this moral advice. He became a person He's God wrapped in flesh, the gift to us from God, wrapped in flesh. And as I heard a preacher say a couple weeks ago, and that gift which has come to us on Christmas is unwrapped on the cross. You see, Jesus is the incarnate deity. Hail the incarnate deity, we sing. And this is why he's able to understand us. This is unique in human history. Listen to the way the writer of Hebrews puts it. He says, since the children, meaning us, the children of God, have flesh and blood, he, meaning Jesus, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. See, God just didn't bark out orders and commands from heaven 
and watch while we continue to fumble our way through life and fail and, and make a mess of things. He became a person in Jesus. And because of that, he understands your life. He understands why Christmas might be a tough time for you. And he offers you encouragement in that. <coughs> he knows what you go through. I've talked about this a little bit before, but when I was in high school, you know, I was relatively, uh, uh, I was non-athletic, but I, I did go out for the wrestling team for some crazy reason. And we had two coaches on our team. One uh, was the, the, the head coach, and he was, uh, let's just put it this way, he was past his prime physically, okay? So he was the guy with the clipboard and the whistle that would, you know, yell at us what we're supposed to do. He's a great guy, but that that's, that's, was his method of coaching. Whereas our other coach was a younger guy. His name was Keith, by the way. Cool guy. Um, and, and not only did he tell us what to do, but he was out there with us every step of the way. And I have these memories of, of going to the school early in the mornings to do, to do cardio stuff and to do run. We would run it like 6 o'clock in the morning before school started. And it was, you know, just grueling. I wasn't used to that kind of, kind of physical activity. And when we would get in there and we would run, I have this memory of Coach Keith not just yelling at us as we would pass by, but he was out there sweating with us, running with us. And, and as you'd be running, when you start to get tired, he would run right up next to you, and he'd be right in your ear. He'd say, I'm with you on this. You can do this. I know you can make it. you just got to go a little bit farther. Don't stop. Don't quit. Don't give up. You've quit your whole life. You're not going to quit now. You're going to push it until you make it, and I'm going to be right there with you. As a matter of fact, follow me. I'll lead you all the way there. I know where to go. Just stick with me. And for me, that was an incredibly powerful experience to have someone because I was young enough and, and, and arrogant enough that, that I, you know, I'd look at the older coach and say, what are you doing yelling at us? You're just going to sit there. As if he hadn't done this you know, years past. But to see my other coach who was right there with us sweating, I, could, I couldn't say, well, you're not doing it. Why do I have to do it? Because he was doing it. You understand what I'm saying here? That's, that's the picture that I have of Jesus oftentimes in my own life. When, when I'm trying to get something done or I'm trying to get through something. I, I imagine Jesus not as the coach with the whistle and the clipboard. I, I imagine Jesus as, as, as sweatier than I am, bloodier than I am. Having been through more wars than I'll ever go through. Running right beside me. Saying, you're going to get through this. Don't quit. Don't give up. You can do it. I know what it feels like. Just a little bit farther, just a little bit more, and you're going to make it. Follow me, I know the way. That's our God. That's the deity that became a person in Jesus. He's your coach. He's your Lord, and he knows what you're going through. Those of you that are suffering right now and during Christmas, he knows what it means to suffer, and he still wants you to rejoice. He's come. He's one of us. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings. Risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lays His glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. This last verse describes the glory 
of the risen Christ. Even in Charles Wesley's hymns about the birth of Christ, he's already pointing us to the resurrection. You see, it was Jesus' second birth that for us signifies our second birth as well. See, Jesus said that unless a person is born again, they cannot even see the kingdom of God. And this new birth is what happens when we, by faith in Jesus, become God's children. You know, it's on bumper stickers, it's on t-shirts, the, the, the phrase, born once, die twice, born twice, die once. The idea that if all you have is a, an earthly birth, you'll experience two deaths, a spiritual death and a physical death. But if you're born twice, if you have the physical, the physical birth, and then you have the new birth <clears throat> through faith in Christ, then, then your death is only coming to you once. You, you die once, but then you, you live forever with God. Even in the beginning, we're pointed to this resurrection. He's talking about new birth, not advice. See, becoming a Christian is not something that's meant to just enhance your life. It's meant to give you a new life. Has that been your experience with your faith? Do you view your Christianity as just something to add to your, to your life, to just make it a little bit better, to say, I'm a good person, but yeah, I want to be able to have the church thing happening to you, or, or yeah, I'm a good person, and I want my kids to grow up you know, in church, or I'm a good person, but you know, I, want to, I want to have that element of my life. You know, that's great, but Christianity is not a, a, an upgrade to your life. It's a complete new life. And that's why the reconciliation is so important because God takes your life. He takes your old life and he takes all the sin and all the guilt and all the shame and all the hurt and he absorbs that to himself and then he gives you back his righteousness, his glory, his joy, his purpose. And that's why we can rejoice. See, this is good news. Good news, not a good idea, not a good opinion, not a good advice. This is historical news. And I know I'm kind of giving a little apologetics, which means a defense of Christianity this morning. It seems like I'm doing that today. And I'll just say this again, this good news is what separates Jesus and Christianity from, from everything else in the world. You see, the good news it's historical fact. This actually happened. It wasn't dreamed up by some swami someplace or some philosopher to try to make sense of things and, and create a mythology that explains how the world might be. There's plenty of that in the world. This actually physically, historically really happened. Do you understand that? I mean, sometimes it's hard for us because we're 2,000 years and a world away from it to recognize that this is real stuff. And that's what we have to, to understand. It's objective and true. So, will you, like the angels, will you sing this song with joy in your hearts, with passion as you recognize the good news for you Will you sing it and believe it? That's been our call this entire sermon series to sing what we believe and to believe what we sing. And with the angels, 
we can sing glory to God in the highest because of what he's done and what he's doing in our lives. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for what you've done. Lord, we thank you for becoming a person that we might be brought back to you through reconciliation. Lord, we thank you for absorbing our sin and our death and our pain. And Lord, we ask today that you'd give us all joy, that we could rejoice even if our circumstances are are, are dire or even if we're suffering because of what's happening in our world to us. Lord, we can rejoice because of what you've done, the redemption that we have, because Lord, we have been reconciled to you. And we say thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Have a look at this video. Marion Methodist is special to me because of the student leadership and all the ministry activities within the church. Um, VBS is very important. Um, I love kids and just helping out with that, as well as the 412 youth and worship space. It is important to God that we give our gifts because we are his disciple, we're his hands and feet. So by giving my gifts to this church, it spends time and that money goes to the community and all the volunteer work that happens. My name is Amber Markley and these are the reasons why I give to Marion Methodist. Will you please join me in worshiping God in this way? Will the ushers please come forward?